Welcome back to At Least It's Not Rocket Science. Uh, I'm your host, Nathaniel Hannon, accompanied by my co-host. JJ Colton, accompanied by my co-host. Kyle Metters. And this is brought to you by AIAA in collaboration with USLI. Collaboration, or entirely USLI as the hosts. Who knows? <laughs> One way or the other, uh, we're here. And we are finally back from winter break. And of course... I say winter break, but for USLI, was it a break, guys? Uh, we had about six hours. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was about like six, five hours, you know? Yeah, uh, we had a little bit of time, you know, because for USLI, uh, there is no rest for the wicked or the weary, whatever, whatever one you would uh, prefer, because we had to work on a very large document over our break. So hopefully, uh, those of you listening out there had a lot better time during winter break than we did. But we're happy to be back now, and uh, we're happy to discuss some of what we're doing this term, talk about some of the recent news that we may have missed during our little bit of a hiatus, and uh, yeah, we're happy to be back. So Should we explain on how the comp- the USLI competition is not set for trimesters but semester schools, or should we just... Is it actually... Yeah, that's why we don't get a winter break. Is because it's set up for semester schools. So during our winter break, papers are due. Whereas mm. in semester schools, they're still in school. Yes. So we have recently turned in, recently as in two days ago, <laughs> turned in our critical design review for our NASA University Student Launch Initiative program, and us being the Oregon State University branch of that program, uh, we had to work throughout the break on this document. It is. 191 pages long, has over 35,000 words, innumerable figures, the contents of two launches, one failed, one successful, (laughs) and uh, over 1,162 hours worth of work in it. So... Go yeah. team. Yeah, go, go team. Go Beavs. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the loss of sleep will be worth it eventually, right? Eventually. Once I recover. Yeah, and that's... Once we all recover. That's not considered... We, we got a, we the, got a couple months, right? Yeah. Until FRR. <laughs> and that's not considering the mutiny that occurred right after <laughs> winter break, right be, at the beginning of winter break. What mutiny? So... I don't know what you're talking about. To put this in perspective, (laughs) I traveled to the wonderful land of of Anaheim, California, for Disneyland uh, over the break with my family once I went home. But right before that, we were intending to launch our original subscale launch, or rocket, and we were going to do that in Goldendale, Washington, but due to weather, we had to cancel that on the day that I was going to be going home to leave for California. So I had to... Well, we were going to designate someone to be in charge anyway, but I designated Nathaniel to function in my place as team lead until I got back. And in a caring mutiny, I was uh, sequestered away in my own Discord channel where I, all I could do is just watch them make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we let you into the memes. Yeah, you let me into our memes channel in the Discord. But other than that, the, the first like day, I was I was just made fun of by everyone. Essentially, I was just put into a cage and point and laughed at. <laughs> what was the uh, Discord channel's name It's again? called JJ Timeout. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know... I do appreciate it, but also you guys are evil. Hey, you needed a break. Yeah, uh, and it was forced upon me. It was nice part of the way, 
some of it. I had to. I I did accept calls here and there for certain uh, news that I needed to know. But other than that, and I was sending emails still, but I wasn't sending them as often. What emails? I sent you that uh, that OMSI thing for mm-hmm. the STEM, and I, I got immediately the, the uh, vacation response. The, the vacation <laughs> response. The and I'm like, first time I ever what? put that on. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> you put your out of office on? Yeah. I didn't even know that we could do that. <laughs> yeah. For, yeah, you uh, can do that with the uh, – it's in the Google, like, mail app on my phone. It just set – and then you, like, set what you want it to say. Mm. And I turned that on, and, man, that was so, so nice because it also <laughs> wouldn't send me notifications. Oh, because all the school spam. And so, like, I'd get an email and it would send a vacation responder immediately. And I was like, yes. But I had to send an email to NASA at one point right after our first launch. Yeah. Like, the day like the day that you guys called me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I turned – I made sure to leave my vacation responder off until I got, like, a response back. Or at least I had, uh, like, for a day or two. Just in case when I emailed them that it didn't – out of office respond to me or to them, to them. For, and it came back to me and then my vacation responder and they would keep basically just <laughs> going back and forth since I have no clue whether or not it, it does that so but yes vacation responder was good we ended up getting that second flight in and uh, yeah all's all's well that's end well right and then we have our presentation to NASA the 20th you looking forward to watch, that but <laughs> no, no spectators for that one do we uh, do we want to do a step by step with what happened with the first launch and then the Go second ahead. launch? We could. Yeah, yeah. That'd, that'd be interesting. Okay. Well, All right. At least uh, my my perspective was I went and helped Nathaniel out with the black powder tests, make sure no one was blown up, and then uh, I was off to Texas. So do you want to talk about that or? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, maybe do you want to talk about the AV bay when we were black powder testing? Oh. <laughs> uh, AV bay. It's funny because Kyle is on uh, the payload sub team and he and he he is he gets to work doing some black powder testing as an extra pair of hands i'm doing everything as an extra pair of hands i'm doing structures as extra pair of hands apparently i'm uh throwing my two cents in for the avionics <laughs> it was documentation the other day too oh yeah and uh, uh i wrote up an after action thing i don't know if uh yeah Someone filled that out. I don't know if you did or not. I didn't check. <laughs> Probably should have. Um, and I'm doing. I'm doing wherever I feel like I need to go. <laughs> yeah, that's the point where, like, I've been doing that anyway because I kind of have to. But now everyone is starting to get like a blend of everything. Everyone's getting just a little bit of a taste, just a little pizzazz added to their their nice tasty USLI meal. Just think all the skills we're getting right. Well, and also, like, when you when you expose yourself to all the other team, like, you see where they're going, where you're at, and how you are going to incorporate their ideas into everything else. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is a lot more extra work, too, though. Yeah. So it's like... <laughs> I still need to track down Isaac. He said he was going to teach me how to do the uh, finite element analysis stuff for Ooh. structures. Because mm-hmm. I was trying to take that class. You know, people who are listening, that is a enormous uh, check mark on your resume for industry... Uh, professionals, things like that. Uh, just saying that you had some sort of background experience like that is huge. But uh, I couldn't take the class because I wouldn't fit in my schedule. I, it would. It was halfway between composites and capstone. And I was talking with Isaac about it. He goes, "Oh, it's a huge undertaking. Don't try to try to do that don't all at once. Don't don't go in half cocked. Yeah. So I'm gonna track him down and make him make him teach me. Now is that through uh, Ansys? 
A M S Y S, I believe the uh, program's called. I have no idea. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I have yet to learn. That's fair. I, when when I do figure it out, I will get back to you. But I think we went off the beaten trail. So black powder tests. Yes. And the, the, the AV Bay. AV Bay. AV Bay. Okay. I was not here at this point. I was not present during. You were in timeout. This <laughs> testing. Yeah, I was in California in <laughs> timeout. So, uh, from my perspective, I wake up one day and I look in the Discord and I see Nathaniel. Little, plea for help <laughs> uh uh that we need to get the black powder testing done for the subscale and i live up in salem so i drive all the way down and we look at it and i'm like oh yeah must be a 30 minute job just load load everything up you know test it call it good you know uh it's in like what eight parts so there's like three different 3d printed structure parts two bulkheads <laughs> with the eye bolt and the threaded thing, rod, three threaded, threaded rod, yeah. And uh, we're trying to fit it all in. Oh, just for reference, up. I had I had been assembling it uh, on and off like so much before they did this testing, so I was pretty good at doing it and getting everything in and out. So I'm just sitting here laughing because the way that we put that AV bay together, NASA, if you're listening, it was very good <laughs> and it worked great. However, it, there were some uh, tolerancing issues. On we'll paper, say. I think it was a great idea. Like shout out to Ryan though. Like mm-hmm. his bulkheads oh, are yeah. spotless. Those were, nice. they, yeah. they were nice. Ryan, if you're listening to this, awesome, good work. <laughs> uh, who, whoever touched the uh, 3D printed, you said. Uh, Someone else. I won't name names. <laughs> won't name but, names. But they rhyme with Schmizek. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, man. But like, uh, uh, but the tolerances were all off. So we were like, we were crouched around this like foot and foot long. You know, I think it's eight inches. Eight, eight half a foot, eight yeah. inches, eight inches long uh, cylinder, and we're turning both bulkheads with these three floating. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I should have taught. I see. I should have. That's that's why you, when you didn't show up to the meeting the day that I left Nathaniel, I was like looking around. Like, have you ever seen Pulp Fiction where John Travolta is like looking? Around? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's, yeah, that was me. Like everyone was there. Gary was there, and then like you're like, I thought the meeting was at three, and I'm like, I have to go home at like eleven a.m. because I was gonna show you and Isaac how to assemble that avionics bay the easy way. <laughs> there isn't an easy way. There is we the tried. Easy way. I can do it like 100%. No, we tried your way. Nathaniel told me about it. We did your way. The spacers? And the spacers? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's a certain spot you got to put them on. I know. We, we looked because uh, they were kind of semi stuck yeah, in yeah. the beginning, so we put them back, but it just wasn't working. So we had had it like this, and we were listening in, trying to listen for the click. It was like we're safe crackers. We're like safe on one. Hard on two. <laughs> I, I, I wish I would have shown you guys because I bet I could go back over there and do it right now. Yeah, well, good engineering is when even the dummies can can use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, uh, I don't know if I told you my 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 revision idea. No, okay. I actually haven't. This is like, my first time hearing. Um, maybe next time, instead of having a single plate like that, you can have like a, a pl- plus. So it'll just lock in and hold. Oh, so like the avionics are on like. So you can still have the same three configuration like you're doing, but instead of having just the one slide where they can get out and move move all over the place, you can just have like a separate plus or an X or something. Can you design that in, or can you draw that out and then we can design it in an X? Yeah, just remind me. Perfect. Sounds good. Because I could do that as soon as possible, which I feel like might be 
what is needed. So for the full scale, yes. Yes. Actually, yes. can you just send me what you have, and I'll just add like that four inch. I don't even have the file. Oh, it really? came I think from... I might have it. Yeah. Okay. Well, if not, I know it's in the box as well. I'm still figuring out NX. I had a five minute tutorial from Isaac and James and Jason. <laughs> I can I can take home one of the the couplers too, and then I can try to design what you mean and send you what mm-hmm. I'm what what I think you mean. Sorry, it's a bit off topic though. <laughs> <laughs> We're just so passionate about our stuff, guys. Yeah, but but you guys had a fun time getting the the AVR. Oh yeah, it was it was once we started testing, oh, I thought right. it was awesome. It was like totally worth it. Uh, we got everything put together. Triggering finally. it from the computer too. Triggering Did you press the, the button? Um, I think we both had a, a turn. We did the uh, uh, fore and then aft, and that was awesome. And uh, we, how much uh, black powder did we put in? 1.5 grams. 1.5 grams. Turns and, out we need 2.5. And uh, <laughs> we need two and 2.5. Or 1.5 from less friction. Well, for the six <laughs> inch, <laughs> for the six inch, how much are we putting in? That one. We're talking about grams of black powder, by the way. I'd have to look back at the calculations. Not 100% certain. Well, everything worked perfectly in testing. On, yeah, on, in <laughs> for testing, the subscale. Yeah, for, for the, the subscale. Yeah. Um, but even with our, our jank powder wells, we, we need to have deeper powder wells, too. Yeah, I was talking to Jason about that. He's mm-hmm. going to keep the diameter of the hole the same, but just deepen it. Yeah. And also, if we're going to mount them upwards, we also need to be able to fish the fire wire underneath it. Mm-hmm. Did you end up doing uh, my, my the wire splice idea, or were you taking the whole thing apart? No, you did this I just, so I found another way where you just put the fire wire through, mm-hmm. put it in. And then after that, you pretty much assemble it, and they just put the black powder in. Really easy. Isn't that what we did the first time? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but if, but not like, I don't know how to explain it. A little so, bit less so, complicated. So for listening, uh, one of the issues that we thought we might come into was that the ignition for the black powder, it was a magnesium tip that is linked to the AV, AV bay that has this electrical signal, avionics. avionics bay, um, that sends the signal to, you know, to light off. That's our, we've talked about it a few times on the show, but Telemega and Easy Mega. Yeah, that one. Not, not my pig, not my barn, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I saying? Anyway, but then it has a, we, once that magnesium is ignited, it kind of goes away. You know, you can't really use this fire wire more than once. So, but instead of having to take everything apart, I was I suggested that maybe we, we just splice the tip off because <laughs> the, the copper wire should still be good, but the we just got to replace the magnesium head. Yeah, I mean we have. I will also note. Do you know how much fire wire we bought on accident? <laughs> Not we. That, that was me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that, that was sorry, me. The royal we, Nathaniel, <laughs> bought on accident. Do you know how much he bought? How much? He was attempting to buy sixteen, but he bought sixteen six packs. We got firewire for the next so four we, years. We have like 90, 96 firewires. Well, now we have probably have like 76 because we've probably used enough to go through 20. Just a couple. And so we have firewire galore because of, <laughs> you know, that's fine, though. We can, we, can, we can do tests. And also, I mean, other rocketry teams, we have a couple others. They could use our firewire yeah, if they need to. Yeah, and we're going to use oh, yeah. their black Exchange favors. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Game of Thrones back quid here, guys. Pro quo. <laughs> but yes, the I'm glad the AVB or the the testing, the black powder testing went well when I was gone. If only it worked that well in air. Yeah, it was awesome though. We it uh it was so forceful that it blew the uh, aft section off, flipped, and then 
dug the fin all the way into the. the I was mud. never told this. How far did it go? It was about twenty feet. Nathaniel, Just a bit. <laughs> no, see, now you see why I was like, you know, this is more than enough black powder. Yeah, so I was really surprised. I'm like, what happened? Did it, why didn't it, <laughs> that? It was forceful, and then when we blew the ass section. It went flying. I mean, we had some oopsies on that, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> Nathaniel. Uh, <laughs> oh, did you not give him the report? No. Should I should I not be telling him this? He not. didn't hear about this one, but oh. I did another testing oh, after this no. day. Okay. Oh, yeah, I, I remember you saying yeah. that. But when we were both there, uh, someone, uh wasn't me, uh, forgot to put the retaining bolts <laughs> from the AV bay to the four section. So... Those listening, just the nose cone is supposed to pop, uh, not the whole front end of the rocket. <laughs> so you forgot to put. So it, I, I forgot it to put the rivets the, on the AV bay. So it, wait, the rivets that go through the body. Yes, to mm-hmm. keep the AV bay so in it place. Just blew the. Whole... Yeah, it, it took the whole nose cone and four section with the shear pins off. Yeah. So. So then the next day I had to come back. Redo the, the test. sheared and everything. Yeah. And it, the nose cone was almost out of the uh, four section anyway. So we were like, yeah, I, th- I thought that looked good. With, <laughs> with that test, did it look similar to when it landed, when it lawn darted in Stockton? The one with the four or the second one that I Yeah, did? where it partially separated the nose cone. It was very similar, actually, yeah. That could be uh, used as evidence for helping us. Nathaniel. <laughs> some of the uh, some of the energy may have been lost by shooting off part of the. Maybe if we found a better way to adhere the coupler to the inside of the four tube, that wouldn't have happened. Because when it landed, did you measure to see how far the coupler may have moved? I was gonna say we should probably go back to the Merrifield and check in the the rivet holes to see if they got see, pushed back. See I this big brain here. You see this? <laughs> you think this NASA hat covers my head for a reason? No, it's like my big pulsating brain is underneath this hat. It's very smooth. Very smooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I gotta comb it, make sure my my brain oh, is smooth. Gotcha. <laughs> Special brain comb. Yeah. Well, because. I wish we could look at it from the pictures because that would definitely have taken some of the energy if it shifted. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I I put so much like uh, masking tape around it was to prevent some of that. I don't, also, when you guys tested, did, we didn't have the tape on the nose cone at that time, right? Or was no, there tape? No, there was on the no nose tape. Cone? I think there was just that one piece that you put, the one blue piece. Hmm? No, there's none. Never mind. No, you have the video, none. right? Of we can we can probably see it. Shear pin testing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because that also, like, that'll be proof. Sorry, we're just coming up with uh, possible reasons why things are not our fault. <laughs> that but, are totally our fault. Yeah, that are totally our fault. No, but the the we should go back and talk about the. Oh wait, no, I have to go after. Now this. you're scheming. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm rubbing my chinny chin chin, and I'm thinking. <laughs> because yeah, so we're thinking that so. I was not at Stockton, but I'll give the Cliff Notes version that I know of because I got a phone call from uh, Nathaniel and Isaac right after testing. Do you want to go into it? Go into it? Yeah, do you want to go into Stockton or no? Do you want to go into Stockton? I'm sure it was traumatic. Sure we can. Sure. So why don't you talk why don't you talk about the whole thing? Why don't you talk about from the go from the Goldendale launch and the alternatives that we were given? All right. So Goldendale, uh, it got canceled due to weather. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Oregon weather, we get... Even though it's in Washington. <laughs> it is in Washington, but it's right on the other side of the Columbia River. Pac-Northwest. Yeah. Yeah, the Pacific Northwest, pretty much. We, we either got some good 
really good snow or it's just ice. There's never an in-between of like slush or anything else. It's just either snow or ice. So uh, Stockton, or not Stockton, Goldendale, they canceled the launch, said launch day conditions are not worth it, not good. So we looked around for other places to launch. Um, I actually made some calls to some NAR heads here in Oregon to see when they launch. Association of Rocketry. Huh? I'm just giving the acronym NAR. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And a lot of the NAR folks here launch in Brothers with OROC, which is basically the Oregon Rocketry Club. And they're like the main rocketry organization here that's associated with NAR and Tripoli. So we're kind of like a little bit out of luck. Um, Also because their local launches are usually low power. And now the difference between high power and low power is you have to have less than three pounds, uh, less than 125 grams of propellant, and it has to be a G or lower class motor, which our subscale was definitely not. I think it's, yeah. yeah, Was I a little wrong? No, I think you're right. You're right. Uh, and our subscale is definitely not. We were running an iMotor, i435T to be exact. Um, and we were shooting about almost uh, 2,744 feet, about there. Well. 732. Yeah. We, That's from the Sims, I should say, from the Sims. But our Sims were a bit off after looking at them. Yeah. Um, but so basically we came up with a plan. The plan was we're going to go to Stockton, California, 561 miles away from Corvallis. Um, and then, New Sacramento. Yeah. And then if that launch was not available for us or if, like, for some reason we didn't make the trip, we were going to create our own waiver and launch in Brothers and just go through the pass, which the Bend Pass is pretty bad as well in the winter or this time around. The Santiam Pass. Think like Lord called? of the Rings, you know, yeah. Hobbit. It's, it's like you're literally driving over the, the Cascades. It's like super... Even because we drove to Brothers in October, and even with no snow, it is miserable because it's so windy. You're going up and down. You're you're literally in, like, the woods of the Cascade Mountains for, like, at least an hour and a half. Yep. And then you get you finally get to, like, Brothers, and then it's still, like – or you finally get to Bend, and it's still, like, another hour and 15 minutes. Yep. And then just getting to the launch site, the road – not the best. Definitely not. Not <laughs> paved, I'll tell you that. You a lot of rocks. rocks. <laughs> yeah, certainly a, lot, certainly a lot of rocks. But uh, So we had that as a backup as well. And then our next backup would be to just completely redo the subscale so that we could fly with a G motor and we could find another place to waver that would be closer. And then our final, final, final backup, like emergency cases, we would wait until Goldendale, which would be the 7th. Of January. But got canceled anyway. But it got canceled. <laughs> but that, that was going to be our very backup of backup of backup. I'm glad um, we didn't do that. I'm also glad because if we did do the the seventh, PDRs do the ninth, eight a.m. Central time. CDR. Or CDRs do the ninth, eight a.m. Central time. So cutting it a bit close. Yeah, and it that's would be the, the launch is the launch period. Like you can't do a launch for the CDR right after uh, after the ninth. If you can't do like they'll they'll offer like a reflight if something goes wrong after you do your presentation, but you have to start on the FRR like right after your presentation if everything goes through. So we would have been like way out of time. We would have been very behind. Um, just a lot more stress that's not needed. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, so that that was the plan. That was the mission goal. In case something went wrong, Stockton, we had A, B, and C going. Um, 
as you see, as you've been hearing, uh, Stockton was a go. We made it down to Stockton, drove the 561 miles, left here about 5:30 a.m., got down Isaac. there. Yeah, me and Isaac, one of the other team members, uh, and then we stayed in Airbnb down there. Next morning, we woke up again at 5:30, got to the launch site early to assemble the rocket and everything, and it. We had everything assembled uh, by around 12-ish because we left the site around 2. It's around 12. Um, everything assembled pretty fine, pretty pretty well, actually. We had our mentor down there it's to help us. It's not rocket science. <laughs> yeah, it's not rocket science. <laughs> we had a, a, our substitute mentor down there, which helped with uh, the motor because we've never done a reload kit. And uh, for those of you that don't know about the reload kits, so when you do your L1, you get a motor that you just take out of the package and you shove it into your motor tube. You got to put the black powder in and everything too. You do that, but yeah. after you do the the black powder and the timing on delay, you just shove the motor in. You put your igniter in there on the pad, and then you just walk away and let it do its thing. With reload kits, you get the motor lining, you get the propellant grains, you get the gaskets, and you get the nozzle. So you have to assemble your motor, and then you get to do the plug and play aspect. But I've never assembled a motor, so that was my first time seeing that and experiencing it. With help from the mentor, of course. Of course, yes. Bravo. Um, it's pretty fun. A little scary because, you know, you're handling explosives. Just like when black powder testing, you're like trying to like jam some black powder <laughs> in the hole and then put it in the rocket. Hey, but anyway. Think of it this way. It, you know, it's a problem until it isn't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyways, after we got that done, uh, we had all the parachutes integrated, the, uh, Nomex blankets, which protect it from the black powder when it, the ejection shards go off. Um, we set up the black powder just how we did it in the, um, ground test. And then we just put it on the pad and, um, let it launch up and it launched up, flew straight and beautiful. A lot of other people said the same thing at the launch. I With a like, beautiful paint job. I wonder who did that. <laughs> I wonder who got you the paint. No. <laughs> the real problem occurs during the recovery phase after we hit our apogee. Um, we hit our apogee, and then we see our first ejection charge separation occurs. It looks fine. looks great. And then two seconds later. Perhaps we, looks a bit big. Two seconds later, we see uh, the aft section just twirl a little too far. And we see a parachute come out without the aft. And we notice that we have two pieces <laughs> flying Completely separated. And then we waited because uh, the main shoe was supposed to be off at 1,000 feet. And 1,000 feet came by. 900 feet came by. <laughs> 800 feet came by. And it was declared ballistic. Um, luckily, it landed pretty far away from spectators and everyone. But, uh, and yeah, near the, each other. Yeah. <laughs> the aft. But and the, the aft the and the four slash nose cone landed right next to each other pretty much. This, ladies and gentlemen, in the business, we call not good. <laughs> also call a learning process. <laughs> yeah. It was also our first time dual deploying, which was pretty fun, pretty cool. Um, but basically, after reanalyzing everything that happened and what went down, um, we had a bulkhead failure that happened in the aft section. So when the ejection charge occurred, a bulkhead pretty much just blew out. Now, this could have been from the extra black powder charge that were recommended from the substitute. Uh, mentor because originally or... we hadn't planned on putting that in correct we only had um the two black powder chargers that were in our av bay or 
on the bulkhead of our AV bay. So there's the there's plan. four total. There was the main and backup for the aft section separation, and the main and backup for the nose cone and fore section. Yes, and then so for the aft, we had that third one inside of the motor, right? Which next wasn't to planned. The ring. Right next to our bulkhead, which is our anchoring point. So could have overpressurized since we would have two black powder charges going off at the same time for Apogee. Um, but bulkhead, basically anchor point came straight off with the Kevlar cord. Could have been also uh, possibly the, the – we used a fastener, which was a screw eye bolt mm-hmm. that we put into it, and that could have damaged the structure enough that it just came out. It tore it, like, directly out pretty cleanly so i feel like it might be that one along with the overpressurization and then also the force of the the chute could have also helped draw drag it out of that process yeah so there's a lot of contributing factors. there's a lot of contributing <laughs> yeah. factors but the, the fact that we know about them now we're going to try to admit well we are going to mitigate them we've already started to mitigate them in we fact, already have plans and we already have options true. but We'll save that for the competition, just in case we have some listeners yeah, on here. Just in case. <laughs> just in case. But uh, and then looking at the nose cone four side, um, the shear pin sheared, but they just didn't fully pop out. Which so, could be due to that tape that I mentioned earlier when I was asking uh, Nathaniel and Kyle about it. Did you see the video? Was the tape on I there? I did not, but because I was I scrolling through to tape. see it. I think I remember talking to you about it that day too. You were talking about tape because normally. Uh, Normally you add tape to like a nose cone or a coupler in general to just give it to make sure that the drag forces of it flying upwards or downwards don't separate it early. Um, I think drag separation is what it's known as. Mm -hmm. And so the tape was originally added before we had our shear pins, which are pins that go into the nose cone and body of the rocket. And by the explosion, uh, they're set to a certain force so that they'll just kind of break off uh, at a certain force. And so with the shear pins, and the tape, we're thinking that that may, and the, the drag force of the aerodynamic forces as well on the nose cone, all of them contributed to almost almost letting the nose cone off. And now, also going back to the AV bay idea, the AV bay may, AV bay may have been pushed back. Oh, so yeah. So some of the force may have gone to that as well. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to do a little bit more reanalyzing mm-hmm. now thinking about that. But uh, that's what caused the main to not deploy, and the main chute would have allowed for a much safer landing. Um, now, looking at the rocket after it's landed, uh, we busted two fins, which are the two fins that contacted the ground. wasn't due to the flight itself. It was just ground impact. Other two fins were completely fine, perfect. Not um, anymore. Well, yeah, not We've done anymore. Some experimenting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and then it, looking at our black box of an AV bay, it withstood oh, everything. Yes. Um, the I'm flight so computers happy. are completely fine the way they are. There's no cra- There's no cracks, chips. Um, yeah. That's when we were assembling that. When Ryan made that AV bay, I was like, yeah, I think that. I was like, I think that even if the rocket fails. And I was like, knock on wood. Even if the rocket fails, like, I think this thing will just work as, like, a black box. And you know what? Sure enough, I was right. Yeah, the thing's made out of – it has, like, solid aluminum bulkheads yeah. with the steel, steel threaded rod, rod down the middle. And, and there's uh, space between the walls of the mm-hmm. fiberglass coupler mm-hmm. and the uh, – That the, fiberglass is solid. Yeah. yeah that's what <laughs> – we actually – the other day we got our, our, our six-inch body tubes for our full-scale rocket. Us oh, three. Yeah. So, and those things are big. And so is the motor 
The motor is <laughs> crazy, or the motor holder. The motor holder is crazy. Motor big, hardware. So, yeah. Yep. But Stockton overall, we've learned a few things. Definitely was a big learning experience. Uh, it wasn't a complete success, but we we learned that the fins are good. Our fin design. Mm-hmm. Um, we've learned how to use Telemega and Easy Mega. Yep, we learned how to track that telemetry mm-hmm. while we're up in air and after we've landed. It's kind of nice because then the Telemega is like GPS location. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> what is it? It goes coast. Coast, coast, <laughs> main, main, apogee, main, apogee. Yeah, yeah, landed. No, but uh, literally, if you leave your laptop on, we'll probably do this in Huntsville. If you leave your laptop on, you have your Yagi antenna aimed at the rocket. It'll say GPS coordinates. This, 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 west. This, 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 and east. And Stockton, did they have a site on the Telemega application? Like, could you see the site? Yeah, yeah. See, because in Huntsville, it's also going to have like a that site where you can like. It'll show you, like, the GPS map and the coordinates of the rocket in air and, like, the stages, and then you could go find it with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's so cool. cool. So what you do is you just you – da- you have to pre-download the map, though, first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. uh, while you're doing your telemetry, it has, like, an actual geographic satellite imagery map, and it'll just show, like, here's the pad, and then you go. and it's like, We still just stick in a uh, air tag? Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, yes. Okay. This all sounds fine, but no, – Simplicity is oh, yes. key, and you know what? An air tag, that's Multiple modes of failure. Or exactly. You ever heard of the Swiss cheese method? <laughs> I have not. What's that? You haven't actually? The Swiss no, no the Swiss oh, cheese. Uh, Swiss cheese method, you know how each slice of Swiss cheese has holes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, if you stack Swiss the the slices of Swiss cheese, eventually you're going to have no holes. <laughs> so <laughs> That's so silly. <laughs> eventually you'll get you'll get no yeah, holes. Yeah, so if you have, you know, one slice of cheese, well you got holes, and you add another slice Why of cheese. Why are there holes in Swiss cheese? This is going to go off topic. I know this is a STEM podcast, but this can um, count. I actually don't know. Theorizing off the top of my head, well, maggots. No. <laughs> well, cheese is, is alive, right? Do you know those? Yeah. Yeah, it's got like the bacteria and stuff in it's it. It's a fungus. It's a fungus. Cheese? Yes. Yeah, it's a fungus. Fun fact for viewers: this is this like is American plastic <laughs> cheese isn't considered cheese overseas. Um, cheese and on an international level. Is considered cheese if it still has active fungus or bacteria. Um, what about Tillamook cheese? Tillamook cheese, yeah, Tillamook cheese is an amazing cheese. I'm talking about like that ch- the the craft single, the craft single, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I don't like, like the little those. plastic those are, those are liners. Gross. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. it's like They're... I'm eating a flattened Lego. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yeah. But uh, like if you get like the Italian cheeses and stuff like that, it's delicious. But they're all they have active fungus and. You know, bacteria. I'm not quite sure about bacteria, but I know they have active funguses. I know about the fungus too. They've got, yeah, I don't know about the bacteria. They've yeah. got something on there. Yeah, they got something. It's it's a living thing. This is like you know, like blue cheese. You know, you leave yeah, cheese that... too long in the fridge, it'll start growing. Moldy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's just you know from the cheese. So I suppose, you know, considering. This is entirely theoretical. We should probably look this up. You know, we should yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to spread cheese misinformation. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give my, my theory, and you're going to look it up and see. If I'm it's gonna, yeah, I'm going to look it up right now, um, and I'll see how close. So my theory, Nathaniel, just off the top of my head, I know nothing about this. Is maybe just maybe that the formation of Swiss cheese is that has holes in it, possibly due to air bubbles from the fungi. That's what I think. Yeah. All right, what does survey say? <laughs> Carbon dioxide bubbles that form oh, the cheese. Oh, hey, I was close. That's pretty that, good. Yeah, I'll say that. That's I'd impressive. say that's a pass. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's like a that's like an A A plus. Yeah, I'd, I'd say. 
Yeah, you said air, but you didn't specify what content the air thing. is. Yeah. I mean, air, you know, air, typically you think of 70, you know, 71% nitrogen, 28% <laughs> oxygen, 1% trace gases, but we'll give it to him. Right. Okay. Okay. Don't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, and then after the, the <laughs> semi-success and failure of the subscale, again, it didn't fail, it didn't succeed. We got a sub-subscale. So then we started calling it the sub-subscale, and by now I was back from uh, California, and I was taken out of timeout and put back in charge, in which I should have just put you in that channel just for a day, <laughs> just so you knew what it felt like. My time Daniel's timeout, timeout yeah. channel? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we got back, and immediately... Uh, Nathaniel and I get together like the day after Christmas to discuss like the plans, like what we're doing. And so we have plenty of balsa kits here at uh, AIAA or OSU AIAA because we just have a plethora of rocketry supplies uh, for smaller, smaller scale launches. And so we have balsa kits that we used. We cut fins uh, to be around the same shape and size that a 50% scale of our full scale. So our full scale is six inches and our, our sub sub scale was three inches in diameter. And then the nose cone matched pretty closely to the actual nose cone we're going to use for the full scale. So overall it was like half, half the scaled size of the full scale. So, uh, it was me and our structures lead, uh, James Chaplin. And mostly uh, he was assembling a lot of the rockets, our motor, our motor retaining assembly, and then it was up to me to figure out how to put an avionics bay in a rocket that is tiny and not made for one. These rockets are made for, like, kids, basically. Um, <laughs> or L1s. Or Nathaniel, if he's launching for his L1, because he used one of the same ones. <laughs> well, I mean, you could have just used mine, you know, assemble it, do all of that. Yeah, yeah, I could have done more of that for you. I mean, we still can. Well, I should also note that originally the plan was to use the Jolly Logic Altimeter 3 mm-hmm. and not a Telemega or Easy Mega. Oh, and then I, I just came didn't up with really communicate that to you. No, no, that was not communicated yeah, with no. me very well. But it's all right. I did my own thing and it worked. It was beautiful. <laughs> and so <laughs> what I ended up doing for because we needed we we're going to do an altimeter, and so we used we ended up using an altimeter three, which our mentor Gary Leach, uh, who we'd like to have on this podcast at one point. But uh, basically, it's like this little tiny dongle you you hang on the bottom of your your rocket nose cone, and then it just like. Measure it, you start measuring, and then your app on your phone will uh, record the data once it's landed. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, I did not know if he had that or not. He had to, ha- he happened to have it on site when we went to launch this, and so I was like, Oh, perfect, let's just snag that sucker on there. The Jolly Logic, yeah, the Altimeter uh, 3. I, I emailed him about the Altimeter it. 3, though. I, yeah, I oh, emailed him about him it. Yeah, I asked him in advance, I had like all that figured out just Sorry, to make sure I hit my knuckle on the, the stand <laughs> gonna blow my eardrum out um so the telemega i wanted to put on there just so we had that backup data mm-hmm. and so what i did was we had another balsa kit and so i cut one of the cardboard tubes that's supposed to hold the motor and then i shoved the telemega and the battery in I hotwired, Nathaniel saw me hotwire this. I hotwired the switch together with just two pieces of wire and I screwed it in and I taped it. He's like, maybe you shouldn't do that. I'm like, listen, I'm the team captain. (laughs) (laughs) I can do what I want. (laughs) And so then I covered it in electrical tape. I stuck the antenna out the bottom. And then basically all you had to do to turn it on was you just plug in the battery. And so I. It's just one of those Estacada ways. Yeah, yeah. It's my (laughs) Estacada heritage gave me the power to just uh, to jerry rig things. 
And so then I also took another piece of cardboard and I snipped the sides of it so it would open up a little bit. And then I super glued the bottom of it and stuck it inside the nose cone in which I clipped a hole in uh, for the spot. And then I ballast through that cardboard piece to get the nose cone to be the right. Yeah. And then I stuck that once it was dried in super, super glue, I stuck that AV bay in there. And then I cut a little hole in the back of the nose cone and I stuck a little wooden dowel in. And you know what? It worked perfectly science yeah. even, even gary was impressed from yeah, what gary, i heard gary our, our mentor he was super he was like he's like oh i have something similar and he showed me a pill bottle in which he had thrown the telemega in and <laughs> cut a hole for the antenna to come out the top and i was like man great minds think alike hey if it works it works man. yeah yep and so our plan was to do dual deployment again Again, everything's basically scaled. The dual deployment was going to work differently, though, because it's going to use a device called a Jolly Logic. And this device is a glorified altimeter that you don't get the data on. But what it does is it has like a little rubber band that you lasso it around your parachute. And at a certain height, it lets go of the that lasso end and then it lets the parachute come out. So that way you don't need to use black powder to uh, eject both parachutes if you're going to do dual deployment. And so uh, it was like a day before launch. Uh, I drive, actually, this was New Year's Eve. <laughs> I drive back down to Corvallis uh, that morning, and then you were there, I think, right? Yeah. And then Nathaniel and I talked a little bit about it. We got our Kevlar shock cord. We did all that. And then we bid adieu, and then I headed back home. I got our Telemega, our TeleBT. I got all of the rocket sims all set up and ready. And then we got to the site or we, I got to the site. I thought there was going to be <laughs> more people you. coming, yep. but it was just me in Hillsborough launching. So I said, well, here we go. And Gary and I set up everything. Uh, we got the Jolly Logic and our drogue shoot in there, all that. He was, Gary was a bit surprised because it's a bit overkill to put two parachutes on a rocket that goes about 900 feet in the air. <laughs> yeah. um, but we still did it. And the Nathaniel mentioned a plug-and-play motor for L1s earlier. This one was literally the easiest motor I've ever used. You literally, it has the black powder already in it. It was an F50 uh, T6 motor. So this was our, they also mentioned the plans. This was our other plan was to launch the sub-subscale as a non-high-power rocket because it'll still count with NASA um, because we can't get waivers to launch anywhere else. But it's only going, you know, 900 feet in the air, so it, it doesn't count as like a mid or high power. Well, it counts as mid power. So uh, I get out to Hillsboro, we assemble the rocket, and the motor is like the easiest thing ever. The motor retainer, like fingers on the bottom of the rocket are horrible, but I get them to work. I have to like bend them with pliers in front of our mentor to like make it stay on the end of the motor. And then we get the launch wires. I, I walk out there, I set it up, we get a few pictures, and then I, I cross my fingers and I record a video. And we launch it and it flew up straight perfectly, kind of like the fins with the other subscale. It went up perfectly at the apogee, the, the chute popped, or the, the black powder popped open the nose cone, which had no tape on it. So it came out super easy. And then that came out. I saw the drogue chute deploy. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And then at 500 feet where I'd set the um, Jolly Logic, the, it let go and the main chute deployed and it drifted down beautifully. And of course, I was horrified, however, because about 200 feet away from where I, I like the launch pad was, there is a bunch of power lines. 
And the guy who was hosting our launch, he said, yeah, just so you know, we've only ever had two people ever tangle up a rocket in these power lines. And I was like, oh, please, for the love of God, don't let me be one of those people. Knowing USLI's luck. Yeah, but it came it came probably within like 30 feet of the power lines, but it still landed like perfect. It's landed like right next to the road. I didn't have to walk as far for it. I took as many pictures as possible. It was perfect. Perfect, successful, sub-sub-scale launch. And uh, just goes to show you that a little perseverance gets things done. And having backup plans upon backup <laughs> plans is always good. A through Z, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I was, yeah, again, I was the only one at the launch site, but it was still fine. I hey, got it done. don't take that tone. <laughs> I just got in from Texas that no, day. No, no, no. It, it just made me laugh because I was there and I was like, I guess I get to experience this alone. <laughs> I was under the impression that another teammate was going. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but I thought okay. uh, James or someone was going too. No, no, no. Well, I was also asked by a few people if they needed me there or if they needed to be there, and I told, sorry, it's my phone, and I told them no, it's not a big deal. I didn't because I I was already at home in Estacada, so mm-hmm. the drive is a little bit shorter for me. I, still, I mean, I told you I would have driven from Newport. I also <laughs> told Nathaniel that he that he was my backup man in case we forgot anything. I brought our big trunk of subscale equipment. <laughs> And I said, listen, I don't know if I'll need anything, so just be on standby. He's like, well, didn't you grab everything? I'm like, that's exactly what I mean. Because if I think I grabbed everything, then that means that I must have forgot something. <laughs> and so just in case we needed it, he was back up. It would have taken him like three hours to get out there, but, yeah. you know. It's it, worth it. It is what it is. Hey, when, it, when it's rocket science, it's worth it. It's not rocket science. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> when it's flying science. Yeah, it's flying science. But yeah, that was our subscale adventure, and then we put all of our our information to the CDR and submitted it, and now we have a very short break until the twentieth, where we do our presentation for NASA. That's an eight days. No, that's don't, ten days from now. Please don't tell me how many days away it is. Ten days. No, why'd you tell me that? Because <laughs> you would have just looked yourself. I would have forgotten, hopefully, but now I remember. But I think we'll do fine. But it should also be noted, though, with the sub-subscale, it was a dual deployment, a different method of dual deployment. Yeah. Um, as we said in the first subscale, we were separating the fore and the aft section, so there's two points of separation. In the sub-subscale, we had one point of separation, and what happens is the drogue would pull out the main chute, where the main chute, as mentioned, the Jolly Logic will come out at the de- declared altitude. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this shows that we know how to dual deploy now. Yes. And also, heart mentioned a dual deployment method that they're going to be using where they have two jolly logics and they're going to hook them together uh joe bevier is that what he said joe bevier i believe that's the person's name knows how to do that with high power rockets yeah and they have a nine foot shoot and that's why i was like you know i since we've already decided on the dual deployment method that we're using probably Mm -hmm. won't use that but if NASA, for whatever reason, needs us to change something like that to match the successful subscale, then we could do it. It wouldn't be impossible. Yeah. But I digress. <laughs> so our break was eventful and not really a break. Actually, you got trapped in, in Texas, right? You want to tell us a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I went to Texas for about a week, and that week turned to two weeks because they canceled all the flights. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I got to, got to spend, I had a great time, honestly, had a good time, but it was a bit longer than what we originally planned. 
and uh, was was also fun that I woke up one morning and I got the Discord message from Isaac going, "We're redoing the whole payload again." <laughs> oh, I remember <laughs> like, that. Oh, dude, <laughs> I thought we were done with this. So yeah. nightmares coming back to haunt you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly though, I thought like weekend. I'm like, oh yeah, we're done. We're ahead of schedule. I feel good about this. And then, okay, word. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> I came up with this brand new th- idea. We're doing this. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> I suppose I'll get to work. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think it, it's a more feasible idea, too. Yeah. Um, Not the tank. I still I think, still think the tank would be a good idea. Bad word to me. <laughs> the tank. I should I should censor that from this. I episode. am a fan of the tank as well. Yeah, though. I know. The tank lives on. <laughs> the tank can live on in your hearts. So Although it's very mechanically and electronically complicated. Nah, it would be pretty cool to see come That's out of a rocket. RC car. How about this? If for whatever reason we need to do like a, or we have room to do a second payload, then you guys could do the tank. Okay. How about that? Nathaniel, you, you with me? Both of us. Yeah, it would just, you just two be us. Only. Just us two. Yeah, just you two. <laughs> yeah, man, we'll just raid uh, the robotics club. And <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah, we'll just go in there and be like, yeah, signature from the VP right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're going you're gonna <laughs> to plagiarize JJ says, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's two letters. Do whatever we need. <laughs> yeah, t- take whatever you want. You can do it. Go ahead. Um, but yeah, it, for those who don't know, it used to be the, what was it, gravity... Gravity operated operated orb payload orb yeah. payload called the goop now it's the gravity operated oblong payload right goop point two, goop point two. <laughs> or 2.0 or yeah. whatever the new goop we have our mission patch too with the goop on it living on in memory we should put a little halo around its head <laughs> yeah we should <laughs> prove that it's dead <laughs> it looks so cute too yeah it's like a, it looks this, like pb8 this new one is just ugly yeah now it's uh basically a integrated inside of the nose cone and it's going to have a spring-loaded camera that's going to pop out didn't i propose a spring-loaded camera like on one of my first... i think everybody did yeah other than james he just proposed like a like a war of the world style yeah, yeah. stabs in the <laughs> i remember someone proposed the claw like nose cone that was, thing that, that was, was james. okay and i was like that is the most unaerodynamic thing yes. i've ever seen in my life no <laughs> yes that's what i'm like war, the war of the world's nose cone like how he was describing it is like you would have the nose cone and then the arms would like come out yeah <laughs> and it's like no and then also you're not allowed to have protuberances uh above the the fins on the rocket as well and mm. i think that would count as a protuberance <laughs> then uh I think Jason thought of like a pendulum thing that was kind of like what we're going to do now, except because it has a counterweight as well. Oh, um, it was the counterweight one, I think. He had the, you the screw. Had, everybody had a counterweight idea. Yeah, he had or the one where idea. he would like screw out. Yeah. Okay. Um. Now we're now we're going with with this one where it's like a mix of both. The best of um, both worlds. So we're still kind of figuring out how we're going to control our axis. The correction. Yeah. Um, I, Ian I, and I were thinking that, you know, because it's weighted with all the, the stuff, we might be able to put it on, like, some ball bearings or something. And oh, have it free yeah. spinning. So, um, but we might just need to cut room out so the camera has room to do it. And now that I'm thinking about it, he wants it to swing out. Might be easier to kind of spring out. Spring load. Spring, yeah. like, Upwards. vertically rather than, like, 
I don't know, like a door swinging. That's interesting. You say ball bearings. I didn't know about this, but like just thinking of the flight forces while it's going up and just having this thing spinning in the <laughs> nose cone while oh, your rocket's going yeah, up. Yeah, that's uh, a great point. Well, we might be able to like have a servo lock. Gotcha. So like, hey, we have a signal and it'll take the lock off. Well, you know. Okay, yeah, that <laughs> that makes know, me a little bit more like calm Historically, down. <laughs> if you ask Boeing, there's better ways to weigh an aircraft. Oh, you were telling Okay, so you got to know. We're going to we're going to get more into our uh, non stem talk now or it's like the uh, the really random it's like the the random factual just kind of, you know. Did you know? <laughs> yeah, the did you know gaming. So we learned in class today, all of us, that Boeing seven the Boeing seven forty seven was having issues with damping its like uh, its wing flutter in uh, the initial flight. design, not, yeah. not the ones right now. In in sixty nine, and uh, the way that uh, sorry, my train of thought was broken. <laughs> the uh, the way that they determined to fix that uh, frequency flutter to damp it better is they figured they would just add more weight in specific points. And so I was trying to think of different things they could have used in 1969 to weigh it down. And the few things that were wrong that they said were lead, which is one that I would have thought as well. My second guess was something else, which turned out to be right. But it was lead that was guessed, tungsten that was guessed, and then... Iron. Someone said iron. Someone probably said iron. And then, you know what it turns out to be? (laughs) Is I didn't say the depleted part, but it's depleted uranium because of its like hyper density without like using as much space. Oh boy! So they put depleted uranium on the 747, the Boeing 747s, to add that that damping effect on their aircraft. And it was because like looking at the mathematical analysis, you could either change your mass, your spring constant, yeah, which would or require your, a structural um, change, and then your stiffness coefficient. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. C. Which, which and, still requires a whole overhaul. Right. So the the two constants, the K and the, and the C, would require a whole new structure analysis and a whole new setup. Rest of the mass, you could just... And they had like six months to, to get one working. Ah, yep. 60s engineering, yeah, right? Yeah, baby. <laughs> Sounds like PDR. We'll just put some uranium. <laughs> yeah, and put, some, put some uranium on it. Guys, guys, you're going to call me crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the best idea let's <laughs> let's take a rocket but instead of an engine let's blow something up under it <laughs> you know and this you know uranium nuclear things in general over the break uh there was a breakthrough in nuclear fusion in the u.s i believe it was in the u.s we'll just say uh, we'll just say in look nuclear. it up you're the one that got uh, that has inter- <laughs> internet connection man uh, <laughs> let me look through. We don't want to be out here giving incorrect information. It's true. It's true. We'll it's be censored. True. But there was a huge ba- breakthrough. And um, what was that? The beginning of the winter yeah, break? In, in U.S. I was right. J.J. was right. <laughs> thank you. I know. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, clap for me. December 13th. So there was a breakthrough in nuclear fusion where it they finally got more energy out from what they put in, which if you are not knowledgeable of energy <laughs> typically does not or happen <laughs> nuclear physics in general yeah <laughs> uh you know the conservation of energy is like a foundational law and it gets wonky when you get to like the atomic level because we have <laughs> nuclear fission power which 
uh, like a nuclear power plant, which I always tell people, I kind of put it in layman's terms where it's like just super steam energy Mm -hmm. because essentially you're just causing like a... You're boiling water. You're you're boiling water with <laughs> with uh, uranium. Uranium two thirty eight. Yeah. I think now they're they're using what plutonium now. I think they, they might be to... using plutonium or even yttrium. Yttrium? No, that's for fusion. They 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 moved from the the scary mm-hmm. uranium, the spooky, stuff, the spooky yeah. stuff, to much more stable. Yeah. So they've gone over a lot of uh, iterations to make things more stable, and you know, if anything bad can happen, they prepared for it yeah. almost. I had to take a uh, nuclear, not nuclear, but a naval engineering course, mm-hmm. and they go into that because of the nuclear submarines and oh, things yeah. like that. And some of them are nuclear powered. And they're like, well, one of the things we thought of was, well, what if it turns upside down? Which you know, in traditional <laughs> uh, nuclear uh, energy, they don't have to worry about that so yeah. much. You so, can't exactly turn the cooling tower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's actually really interesting if you know if you're listening to this to like look into that kind of kind of stuff. But I interrupted you. No, Go you're ahead. fine. It, but essentially, the current nuclear power that we possess is just it's like steam power. You're boiling water at like a super super high rate, and it creates steam that moves turbines. And bada bing, bada boom, you have pretty clean power. Uh, the only issue is usually with the waste. Uh, and the the keeping upkeeping the uh, excuse me keeping upkeep on the actual uh, power plants because if you don't keep them you know up to date and like every everything nice and maintenance then breakdowns like Three Mile Island like Chernobyl and like uh, Fukushima was really anyone's fault. Fukushima those had a lot a, more than just earthquake. Uh, maintenance, but, but it can it can lead up to that if you're not yeah. careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Chernobyl is not a good example of Western. Uh, but it, it, can lead, <laughs> it can lead to results from the nuclear uh, facilities, like the after effects of it, yeah. something going yeah. wrong. I did actually want to bring up. I, I was taking a engineering sustainability course, and mm-hmm. one of my projects was for nuclear energy. And during that time, I found that they have found a way to recycle nuclear waste. Well, the half-life of it is, is theoretically, like, till the end of time. Yeah, yeah. well, it's yeah. till the end of time, but it doesn't go to the heat level that we need to yeah. make use of it. But they found that if you introduce cobalt something, it was like cobalt-12 or something, mm-hmm. it basically re-ionizes it. And the you nuclear just, material. Nuclear material, and they just throw it back. I wonder how the, much radiation that puts off. When you Probably reionize, a lot. When you reionize an uh, old uh, depleted well, uranium. Think about in the in the future, your gas station just reionizing your engine. <laughs> oh yeah, you just got a big uranium rock in there. Just, oh yeah, just you know, carry your cobalt. <laughs> <laughs> your, your radioactive cobalt. Yeah, that, like, it glows in the dark. <laughs> like, what I'm picturing right now is just like you know, back in the day with the the trains and the shovel. You just have your shovel, oh, your cobalt, cobalt. Just, yeah, yeah, putting it in the. <laughs> Well, let's put it in perspective. So, like, aircraft carriers only need to be re- refueled once every 50 years. Oh, got to put N- some gas Nuclear. <laughs> but they take the whole structure out, and then they swap out the No, they the just core. toss the other ones in a dumpster. Yeah. The old, dumpster, the old, right. The old uranium rods. If we – so imagine only having to refuel your car once mm-hmm. every 50 years. So, yeah, they re- reionize it. And if you think about it this way, so that heat is – that is giving off is all gamma rays and energy from that. Um, at that point, you're just playing math with electrons and protons. Yeah. So you got you're finding an element to add more electrons or protons or whatever to the your unstable material. Radiation's 
scares me. It does because you can't really control it. I can't and, see it. Yeah, I can and, only uh, feel it fifty years from now. We we talked about the uh, the hammer and the ball of death, right? Oh, the uh, the the demon sphere. Yeah, the demon oh, sphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think we've talked about that here. Wait, let me let me let me talk about the fusion before. Okay, before sorry. We, before we keep getting into things that make people not want to support nuclear power, <laughs> support okay. it. It's awesome. So the so the the recent breakthroughs are not fission, they're not nuclear fission, they're nuclear fusion, and nuclear fusion is what occurs on the sun, and so basically, the the sun is constantly fusing uh, elements, typically hydrogen and then helium later in its life, or depending on what star you're looking at. Eventually, you get to the other elements, but I digress. Uh, but fusion is occurring at like a, it's super efficient, but also it creates a ton of power. And so finally, um, they've been trying to work on it with something called a tokamak reactor, in which you you basically pump the the you put power in. I don't know the specifics because I'm not you know a nuclear physicist, but from my layman's understanding, is it's like a big donut. Uh, that of uh, plasma so when you insert all this power in these gases eventually it'll ionize all of that gas into plasma and it keeps it ionized like that and they're supposed to try to get uh, power out of it and they finally say they put in I, I don't know the exact numbers but uh, they put in like say 10 gigawatts and they probably got out I think well I don't know the numbers but instead of putting in they put in 10 and they got out 15 we'll say that's the that's the kind of of usage that we're getting out of this. That's the kind of future. That's like if you if you put like a ten gallons of gas in your car and you got fifteen out, you're just like it's like a money glitch. A money <laughs> you're GTA. Yeah, yeah, you're it really kind of is duplicating a money glitch. Items, it, I mean, it really kind of is. It's like magic. A cheat code. Yeah, because you're creating energy. It's like it's like well, it's like creating energy, but it's like it's taking oh, yeah. it from like this this like weird quantum force, like at this atomic level that like we can't. Well, I can't deeply well, some understand. Someone understands. Well, let's, 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 break stuff. It, yeah. let's break it down. All right, so E equals mc squared. It's basically the fundamentals of that. We're turning. So for those of you who don't know, there's a difference between fission and fusion. Yeah, which is what so, I just mentioned. What we were doing was fission, mm-hmm. which was splitting atoms and causing an explosion or a imbalance in the radioactive material that yeah. causes a you know heat effect. Right. Yeah. You know, easy peasy. We can do that all the time now. People, there's a billion nuclear reactors like that yeah. all over the world. What we want to do now is the opposite of that. We're taking an electron and we're hurling it really, really, really fast. Yeah. At another atom, and we're hope- trying to make we're a... causing them to fuse together forcibly. Yeah. Hence, fusion. Mm-hmm. It's like a controlled explosion that you constantly... Yeah, but that... So from. it takes a huge amount of energy to launch that electron, right? Or proton. You're I, kickstarting a miniature you're, sun. Yeah, you're kickstarting a miniature sun. Yeah. But that initial reaction, that... F- let's just call it phase change, for lack yeah. of a better word. It has this huge energy byproduct that we're utilizing so it is kind of like a computer glitch yeah you're just it's it's taking it from somewhere in the universe it's not like coming from nothing we say it's coming from nothing but in our perspective it is it's taking it from something and i don't know something enough to look into that so if you're interested in nuclear fusion and creating sustainable power why don't you uh why don't you look into that why don't you why don't you get a job that does that because and come on our show and explain it yes come on yeah yeah come explain it be like is it like transformation? So would it be like as this source of energy is transforming from this element to this other element? That yeah, it, I think it is kind of like that. Kind of like how 
if you mix like hydrogen and oxygen, mm -hmm. it's like there's a certain like you need to like apply energy for it to create that reaction to happen. And then right. when that reaction does happen, the excess energy gets thrown out. Yeah, and that's what we're getting out. I we're think putting so. energy in to create that reaction yeah, catalyst I think so. and then we're getting out more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay, I don't I don't sense. claim to understand it completely, but what I do know is that it's basically we're using the power that powers the sun. So mm -hmm. look into it from there. Don't listen to us. We're not smart enough to talk about this, but it's very interesting. We know the we know what it could do for uh, the world if it works. Mm -hmm. So all right, the demon sphere now. So <laughs> demon here's, sphere. A, here's a here's a good example. Here's a good example of why nuclear fission is dangerous, but nuclear power is still pretty good. Oh, you're pointing at me? Okay. Well, you, you brought it up earlier, <laughs> I so did I, I figured you wanted to um, start. Well, I can't remember the specifics. I honestly thought we talked about this more. Um, but, like, the Demon Sphere is a basically chunk of radioactive material. I can't remember what it was. It might be plutonium. Plutonium. Perhaps. It was, they Tantalum? took it, yeah, they took it out of one of the old um, unexploded nukes, right, that we had laying around after World War II. The demon core. Yeah, demon it was plutonium. Core? Yeah. Look at the fat memory. Did it actually come from uh, one of the nukes? Or is that, I think it am may I just making that up? Excess. It may have just been manufactured during World War II. Uh, everyone, Wikipedia is a very uh, handy tool. <laughs> Make sure you quote your sources. Uh, oh, it was. It was originally intended for usage in World War II. We'll say that. Okay. Um. So. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, you have this unstable, you know, material and turns out kinetic energy can very easily chip off, uh, a reaction from these, from these materials. And, uh, I think someone had like a screwdriver or oh, something in the lid. I think, I don't think it was kinetic energy. What happened was he was, he was like, uh, so this is. Obviously, this is why you want to follow safety measures, which is why we always listen to our safety officer, of course. <laughs> um, he was, like, trying to get, a, like, a he had, like, a Geiger counter or something, and he was trying to get, like, as close as touching this plutonium sphere to the bottom plutonium sphere as possible, like, where it would kind of cause, like, this, this electron reaction or some sort. It wouldn't – I think it was going to start acti activating, like, fission if you kept them together for too long. Because I think the way that, a, like, a, a nuclear bomb works is it, like, shoots a, like, bullet of plutonium into a sphere of, like, uranium. Oh, mm -hmm. that's one of the three ways. And so I think he was holding it up with a screwdriver, and he was trying to get it, like, as close as possible. And then it slipped, and it touched together. And when the demon core, which I think it's called this for the amount of people that it irradiated, but it touched the other side of the sphere, and it caused, like, this giant flash of blue light. And so he flipped the screwdriver enough to flip it off so it canceled the reaction or it, it like, prevented the fission from occurring. But, like, everyone in the room got, like, a like a huge dosage of radiation. And, like, except for, like, the people, like, standing, like, directly behind him. Everyone basically like, got hit by that light. And so the, it's, like, the, the fission radiation. And hence why I'm scared of radioactivity. That stuff is spooky. <laughs> Like, well, it's also interesting because something so powerful and deadly, you know what we use to contain it? Pure water. H2O. Mm. Mm -hmm. Nice, delicious water. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's Make one of the- Make it heavy water. I'm, this, I am pretty sure we talked about in some of the other things, uh, some of our other shows where 
so, you know, some of the ideas for shielding from cosmic radiation is just surrounding the cock- cockpits with water. Yeah. Or I've heard human waste as well. Ugh. Yeah. Let's have some digni- dignity. Come on, guys. I mean, if, it, if <laughs> you're on a long mission, water. if it works, it works, right? Uh, Actually, no, because it's pure water that does it. It can't have contaminants. Sorry, I'm looking. The plutonium core produce a burst of neutron radiation. Uh, he was working alone. <laughs> Why would you work alone? There, there's there's a couple of different Buddy stories. That was the second incident. There's two of them. They yeah, did this one twice. of them where it was the professor, right? They made a movie out of this. Uh, oh, they did? Yeah. I remember seeing a, a little video clip way back when uh, where he put it on chalk on where everybody was and did all the calculations on who was going to die. Oh. Because, like, someone slammed the lid on, down on one of the the plutonium cores. They said it was like tickling the dragon's tail. Scientists referred to this flirting with the possibility of a nuclear chain reaction as tickling the dragon's tail. Hmm. Science, guys. <laughs> so basically, it's a okay. So it was a plutonium, and then there was beryllium reflectors that I think would just continuously bounce like the neutrons. Mm-hmm. And so when he closed it all the way on accident, that's when it started like the hyper reaction because they're moving so fast. Again, I don't claim to understand this, but it's scary. Don't anyway. Me, don't mess with them. So we learned a lot from that. Now it's not so scary. So <laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm good. I don't think I'm going to be gassing up my car with any any cobalt anytime soon. Well, <laughs> now it just we can as long as we have it as at one location and make it super super safe, which we do. We can just make just everything electric. That's why you just don't mess with radioactive material as as people well, like us. So nowadays. Um, some of the leading theories is, is instead of rods, they come in like little plates, like forbidden biscuit. You know, I don't know if you forbidden seen, biscuits. I don't know if you've seen that meme where they look like hot biscuits. I have they're not, like little plutonium biscuits, and they're a lot safer because um, they're separated and they're much more stable. They're yeah, much more easy to control. Plutonium is man-made, isn't it? I thought uranium I couldn't. I don't know. Man. I think that uranium is the heaviest natural element. So you can fact check Google. Me on that. Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll Google. That my fat uranium brain <laughs> pulsating with knowledge and radiation. But uh, people are starting to think about uh, modular nuclear reactors where they're smaller, you know, things that you can just like put together, mm-hmm. right? So if you have a larger energy requirement that you didn't know that you had, you would just basically add like, I don't know, two more modules. Yeah. And they're all separated. So there's not going to be one huge meltdown. And if there was any sort of meltdown in any of the, the modules mm-hmm. you can disconnect and then isolate so it's not there's not going to be a chain reaction uh-oh nathaniel's giving me so yes plutonium is considered a man-made element oh what's, hey what's the heaviest natural one uh, i didn't see the heaviest natural one he looked that up wouldn't sure. it be tungsten or is uranium heavier than tungsten i think uranium is denser that's why they use it on the boeing and also tungsten, tungsten is, is also uranium is the heaviest natural okay. element yeah i also well fun fact tungsten can't be machined naturally yeah, because it's so yeah. so dense. They they have to go through a pressure and chemical reactions to do tungsten kit tips and stuff. Because isn't that that's why they make it like an alloy, right? Tungsten carbide. Mm-hmm. Tungsten carbide, because it's all chemistry and adjusting and manipulating like pressures. Super good at blocking radiation, I think. Tungsten carbide. Well, I honestly don't know. I mean, I suppose it would because it's so dense. Yeah. I mean, that's what lead is for, right? I don't know. I, I don't yeah, know why lead. it's blocking. <laughs> well, it's also stable. Yeah. 
stability. Water is stable. You know, lead is stable. You know? Back to chemistry. Back to yeah. chemistry. Oh. Iron, not so stable. Yeah. Oh, fun <laughs> fact. Uh, I think iron is the heaviest element. You can fact check me on this. Heaviest man-made element? No. Iron no. is the heaviest element that can be produced by stars. Oh, without, yes. Without going supernova. After iron, they go, yeah, they go into supernova. Yeah. Really? Fist bump. I <laughs> didn't know that either. I thought yeah. it would be like nickel or something. Mm-mm. It's iron. FE26. Yeah, I learned that. I think it was when I was doing vector calc, I met up with some physicist in the, the Kidder, like, um, how'd that happen you just meet up with physicists <laughs> no like literally i was like hey can i hey, help this and then they're like yeah blah, blah, blah. and then like he started going off like oh, he's a physicist and like he's dual majoring in math and blah 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 and we started talking about stars and he told me yeah iron's the last element and i'm like what out of all these elements that you have in the periodic table it stops at iron yep i learned that yeah. i think my freshman year of high school i had a really sick uh uh science teacher that's really cool, Mr. Donnelly. Shout out to Mr. Donnelly. I don't think he's at, <laughs> I don't think he's at Estacada High School anymore, but he was pretty great. He called me Colton. <laughs> Colton, come here, Colton. I was like, okay, yes, Mr. Donnelly. And he always drank Mountain Dew, and he always wore like a, a big jacket because he was like tatted up. Yeah, he was a cool <laughs> dude, Mr. Donnelly. If you ever listen to this for, for whatever reason, you're you're a real one. So. Uh, you guys got anything else? We're uh, we're we're coming up on time. I suppose we can talk about cheese. cheese. <laughs> talk more about cheese. Talk more about cheese. I don't know. Maybe we should do a food science episode. Oh, that actually would be pretty cool. We have to have video for that one though. I got a good bit into my own experimentations for with like fermentation science. Oh, brewing. Yeah. Did I not tell you this? I no. uh, I made my own mead, and uh, I got a strawberry. We are all wine. over twenty one. Yes, <laughs> it turned twenty four soon. So yeah, um, I have a strawberry wine aging, and I got a couple of bottles. I have a Christmas mead, and I have a traditional mead, and uh, I'm thinking about maybe trying my hand at uh, whiskey next. That's cool. So that I've always it's always, there. There's a brewery class here in on campus. Oh yeah, you a brewery can... station down <laughs> down Wait, that really? way. Yeah, you, you've never I've, seen the brewery. I yeah. thought about taking that class, but it was like you can drink your own stuff. But it was. <laughs> yeah, I figured, but it was like it was like four nights a week, and it was like four hours a class, but it was only like a three week class. It was like going to be one of my summer ones, but I couldn't do that, so I didn't. Um, I had a dorm mate my freshman year that took that. He went from actually mechanical engineering to fermentation science. Really? Yeah. Um, and then it, I th- then I think he switched switched to construction management after that. But anyway, he's like, oh yeah, I'm having a great time. <laughs> what a what a what a change of heart. Have you ever yeah. seen the building? Where they make the beer? Uh-oh. I ran oh, past it. They have, like, the nice, huge the hoppers. Like this, yeah, the stainless it's steel. It's over by the uh, the meat lab, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember where, um, what was the name of the class? 316? Yeah. It's right in that building. It's, it's the in back that building? End. Yeah, it's the back end of the oh, building. Oh, really? The Withicombe? Yeah. Withicombe, yeah. Yeah, Withicombe, yeah. That's an old hall. Yes, it is. Very old. Mm-hmm. No and AC. Also, yeah, I was going to say, no <laughs> AC. I remember, did you have 316? With Michael Bowen? Um, which what was the first one? First acronym? Uh, was it ME, ME? Mechanics 3, of 316? Materials? ME 316. Yeah, it was Mechanics of Materials, right? Uh, I took that with Green, Dr. Green. Okay, so mm. we had it together, and that building was miserable to take that class in. <laughs> I, what was it? Was it? It was at the end of winter term, so it was right around when spring term started, and they had the heat 
pumped up and it was starting to get nice. Yeah. And I remember taking the final for that class and I was like melting. I was like at the top row. I was like sweating. I'm trying to remember where I took that class. I don't. I was going to say, even the layout, the floor plan for that. You have to like go all the way around just to get oh, to yeah. the classroom oh, yeah. when it should be like the first two doors that you enter. Well, you can also like walk up the stairs in the back too. Yeah, but remember, there's those like first two doors, and it looks like those are the doors to the lecture hall. Yeah, but it, the doors go somewhere else. That's a very silly building. Yeah. Anyway, fermentation science is neat. There's a whole equation system that you can do. It's, it's like fun is it's fun chemistry and you get a treat at the end i was gonna say get back into chemistry you guys ever had the the berry pill where you like rub it on your tongue for like 30 minutes and it reverses all of your your taste bud i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) sounds like a fever dream it does sound like a fever dream so are you okay i gotta try palate cleanser no 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 okay this would be good for video but basically it's this it's called magic berry or something like that miracle berry I've, I've done this before so i know it's true so basically it's like Is this, this legal yes yeah you could just buy they're just kind of expensive so it's like this it's not even like a pill it's like a mint almost and basically you like put it on your tongue and you like rub it around your tongue until it dissolves and then you basically it's it's so hard to explain like your taste buds swap so like salty becomes like or like sweet becomes like sour and sour becomes sweet so like your tongue feels different, but all the other effects are the same. So, like, for what I did is I just, like, took a bite out of, like, a lemon, like, skin and all, and it was, like, candy. It was, like, the sweetest thing That's ever. I poured, weird. like, a glass of pure lemon juice, and it was, like, delicious. That's weird. That reminds me of the lemonade experiment. Lemonade experiment. Um, It it was an experiment done, I think, oh six. Mm-hmm. They were trying to manipulate your taste buds with electron or electrodes. So oh. it was a special cup that when you put it on your lip, it would send a current through your, your mouth, basically, and trick your taste buds into thinking that whatever you were drinking was lemonade. Well, that makes what? sense because, like, electricity is, is – okay, I was a dumb kid. And I, I don't – oh, no, I'm not, I'm not a dumb kid. When you, test a, <laughs> when you test a 9-volt battery, what flavor? Have you tested – you know how to test a 9-volt with your tongue, right? Yeah. He didn't believe me. Nathaniel didn't believe I me when believe I told you. him I that. Just, I, I don't want to do that. It tastes, I believe it tastes you, sour. But, mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they would be able to kind of manipulate that. Well, it was supposed to taste just like lemonade. That was the thing. Just too smooth. Because they, they were – because uh, it, it was basically just water in a cup. And whatever <laughs> you would, <laughs> the, the person is drinking it is like, hmm, lemonade, hmm, delicious. To bite your tongue off. <laughs> but that Miracle Berry, I, I should get it and we should do it uh, – we should do it on the show, and that th- at that point we'd have video, and we'd have like, like spicy things. We'd have like, uh, like what's sour spicy? things. What's the opposite of spicy? Salty? That's a good question. Um, oh. What's it called? Savory. Uh, no, it's like salty. What's the other word for salty? I don't know. Wouldn't be sour, would it? Mm-mm. No, sour and sweet. Those are opposite, I think. Hmm. Because sweet and sour, <laughs> sweet and sour sauce. <laughs> Well, because I know, like, if you want to go, like, really technical, to eliminate spice, you'd either add milk or honey to whatever you're doing. Because it'll, it'll decrease your um, Oh, it's I guess it's like, it's, like, acidic and basic if you really want to get to the, yeah. the, the yeah, baseline guess, yeah, of everything. Yeah. But uh, we'll I'd say spicy it. and science. whatever. <laughs> there's a certain term for salty stuff, like salty foods. I don't know. I forgot the name of it. Salinated. Salty? No. <laughs> Saline. 
It's like a technical term. Yeah, technical Isn't term. It? I don't know. Heartburn. <laughs> Heartburn. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to talk about food more next time. I think that's a good idea. If we don't do another interview next week, we should we should do some food science talk. Yeah, food science is actually a lot more interesting than most people would give it credit for. There's just like the whole thing. Have you? There's like meat food science. Mm-hmm. There's like the preparation of all that. How bacteria. You know, how your tongue actually tastes things that are different. Well, that too. Like, you know, I didn't know this until recently, but the uh, cells that give you taste and the cells that allow you to smell are the same. That makes sense. Because like it they're seems the same like type of... So you're, sometimes you taste things that you smell, but you smell yeah. the way you taste. You're so. also like your memory connects to like your tongue in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like you, because you can like make yourself taste something if you think about it yeah. enough. So like if you wanted to eat something gross, you would hold your nose, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Psychosomatic. So it's, a weird, it's a weird thing. And also, it's like, uh, like the chemicals uh, of like what you're eating and like what they t- like. I took a geology class. I won't go on for too long, but I took a geology class in community college, and one of the ways they would help differentiate minerals was they would taste them. Now they did not do this for everything because like cinnabar has like mercury in it. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, so, like you don't taste everything, but like they would have like each rock would have or each mineral would have a certain taste. Even certain rocks would have a certain taste, and that's weird. What I want to know is how do they find this out? <laughs> I mean, like, cause, like, all right, so like, like the first man to milk you, a cow. Like, blood. were you eating rocks? <laughs> no, for this no, class. no, no. They were like, they were like, do not lick these. <laughs> well, because and we had cinnabar, so it had mercury in it. Well, because like, think about it. Like, blood, blood tastes like metallic, mm-hmm. iron, specifically iron. Why does iron taste? Why does? Why do we know that metal tastes like iron? Like, why does that taste like that? You know what I mean? Like these like different chemicals that make up everything all have like a weird taste and like there's texture and like all this other stuff. Cause I'm like, I'm sure if you were to just lick a bar of iron, it would not probably taste like blood. Not that I've tasted a lot of blood, but you know what I mean? Well, mm, I had, I've had my share of ER visits. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when uh, I got my wisdom teeth removed. <laughs> Actually, I, speaking of that, I found this out uh, a couple of days ago. I'm going to go real fast, but have you ever had an IV drip? No. No? Just really... really yeah, Ivy Drip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so did you taste anything when you had your Ivy Drip? It depends. Like, I, I remember one operation, they added something, and it, like, they're like, yeah, it's going to taste like this thing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sriracha. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it was like something. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't care. Just, you know, get me better. Yeah. Do what you need to do. And then, yeah, I actually, like, tasted even though I wasn't eating. Yeah. So it turns out when the IV, so you know what IV fluid is, right? It's like saline solution, isn't it's it? It's like a saline solution with some with a bunch of other stuff, electrolyte, you know, all, all that this, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, basically, to help your body, Boogers. you know, do the <laughs> no, uh, be you know functional yeah. when you're not consuming things regularly. So I had appendicitis, so I wasn't keeping fluids down or anything. So they hooked me up to an IV drip, and I was like, "What? What's that taste? Like, it tastes like." Like hospital. Like, <laughs> uh, like what's going on? It tastes like hospital. That's, that's the only way I could describe it. But apparently I'm not like the only one. And I found that they finally figured this out. Or they figured it out and I finally found out the other day where they, it has a residue from the plastic bag that goes into your oh. body. And then when it reaches your lungs, it'll evaporate. And then when you breathe out, you taste it. Gross. 
Mm, so because you know your blood goes through your bronchial yeah. tubes and then thins out. What's that hospital flavor? What does it taste like? It tastes like I don't like hospital. Like how you, <laughs> it's how you like sterile it. and and like it tastes like a linoleum floor. Pretty much. It's <laughs> like, like hospital. One like. last fun fact for me when it comes to tasting things. The last time I got my blood drawn, I take the the apparatus apparatus machine because I'm an A negative, so I do power red. And they like take out like your blood, and they like separate like the plasma, or mm-hmm. they separate out like the red blood cells, and they pump the plasma back in. When they do that, it makes my mouth taste like metal, and that's yeah. common. That's that's they they expect it, and they give you tums to like not have to taste it, but it, and it makes my arm like cold. It's weird. Yeah, right. And it's because you know you have an excess, and it evaporates in your lungs, mm-hmm. in your bronchial mm-hmm. tubes. Tastes tastes like a meat licking an iron bar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back. We'll be back at you next week. With more weird facts. And more weird facts and fun. And uh, and more episodes. Yep, more and episodes. And remember, and at least it's not rocket, rocket science. science. But, um, see you guys next week.